I signed an order appointing Jack Smith. And nobody knows you. And those who say of Jack is a fanatic. Mr. Smith is a veteran career prosecutor. Wait, what law have I broke? The events leading up to and on January 6th. Classified documents and other presidential records. You understand what prison is? Send me to jail. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida, and I invite everyone to read it in full, to understand the scope and the gravity of the crimes charged. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces dedicate their lives to protecting our nation and its people. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. Adherence to the rule of law is a bedrock principle of the Department of Justice and our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Applying those laws, collecting facts, that's what determines the outcome of an investigation. Nothing more and nothing less. The prosecutors in my office are among the most talented and experienced in the Department of Justice. They have investigated this case hewing to the highest ethical standards, and they will continue to do so as this case proceeds. It's very important for me to note that the defendants in this case must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. To that end, my office will seek a speedy trial in this matter, consistent with the public interest and the rights of the accused. We very much look forward to presenting our case to a jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. In conclusion, I would like to thank the dedicated public servants of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, with whom my office is conducting this investigation and who work tirelessly every day upholding the rule of law in our country. I'm deeply proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Uh, minutes after we finished recording the latest episode of Jack, there was an alert that Jack Smith was going to be making a statement to the press. And then about an hour before his statement, which you just heard in its entirety, the indictment was unsealed. So we decided to record a bonus episode going over the charges. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Andy McCabe. Allison, holy cow, what a what a day. Uh, th I feel like we've kind of been running uh, since we last sat down and recorded uh, the previous episode. But here we are, the indictments landed, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, I haven't slept much. Um, but And I have to tell you, Andy, I thought I would be um, all celebratory and party and woohoo, you know, because, you know, I've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah. But once I read, once I got into this indictment, once I got into these charges, I have to tell you, I was like honestly just disturbed uh, at the complete 
and total disregard for any any thoughtfulness, I guess, about our our national security secrets. You know, I I was only in the military for a short time. Uh, you know, uh, I I worked with some classified uh, and top secret information, but only for a brief period. But the 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 solemnity with which you take the seriousness with which you take your job uh, when it comes to this stuff. When I saw the box knocked over and I saw the yeah. maintenance man, you know, talking to the Diet Coke guy about, yeah. uh oh, you know, it was just, it was really disturbing. So let's go over these charges really quickly. It's 38 counts, right? Because we talked about this in the episode we recorded yesterday. Uh, it, we, the early reporting was seven counts, but it was seven crimes. And That's there right. were more counts. And you and I were like, how many counts for 793E do you think there are? There are th- 31, way more than I imagined. Yeah. As, and as we thought, they would be predicated um, one count per document. That's kind of the most logical way to do it. And yeah, 31 separate documents, I think 28 of which are top secret. Mm. Um, another, you know... Uh, um, I think 28 or 27 of, of those um, are described as referencing foreign government information or information about foreign governments. Really unbelievably broad and sensitive and, and concerning scope of uh, across those uh, documents, the 31 documents. Yeah. And that's what really, truly bothered me. It's like because of the the amount and the scope and the nature of these documents, they're all, they all have like most of them at least are top secret SCI. And most of them have to do with military secrets for our country or other countries and five eyes only, which, you know, there are the five countries, everyone who listens to this show, I'm, I imagine knows what the five eyes are, but sure. um, like, why does, why those, why does he have those? But anyway, we can, speculate all we want. Here are the charges. Title 18, U.S. Code Section 793E, just like we said. Uh, Those are the 31 documents, 31 counts for Trump only. Then we have the witness tampering stuff, 1512K, 1512B2A, 1512C1, 1519. And those are Trump and NADA. That's the conspiracy, right? That's right. Then we yeah. have a couple of thousand and one charges, a uh, couple for Donald, one for Walt. And here's how the whole thing goes down. I'm just looking at it right now. It's mm-hmm. First of all, it is a speaking indictment, as we thought it would be. It's very detailed, uh, but it's also succinct. And I, I, I will say I absolutely love this about Jack Smith when we listen to his opening statement at the top of the program. He, the, the thing that I think of the most when I hear him talk or when I hear him write a letter, like that letter he wrote in November is if I had more time, I'd have written a shorter letter, but (laughs) exactly. He's so very good. There's nothing extra. It's just right to the point, direct. There's no kind of uh, playing around with the words or the meaning, you know, exactly where he's coming from. And I agree with you. I think the indictment reads, um, exactly that way. It's logically laid out. But the thing that really knocks you back into your chair is the details. Not, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of detail in this indictment. Um, it is the, you know, as you mentioned, the kind of uh, archetypical speaking indictment. But it's also the the seriousness, the severity of those details, When it, whether it's the description of how sensitive these documents are um, 
or it's the just the down and dirty um, putting you inside the conversations between Evan Corcoran and Donald Trump. Right, like the pick out motion. Yeah, how blatant Ugh. the obstruction of justice is here. The, you know, we always talk about how hard it is sometimes to prove intent in these cases. And there's just like, there's tons of evidence of uh, corrupt intent here. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable document. Yeah, and much like Don McGahn's notes, um, which we we did end up winning that battle. Well, we won the battle. We lost the war there in the Mueller investigation. But much like McGahn's notes, these Corcoran notes, I think, have a lot to do with uh, what we're about to talk about. So yeah. in the, the first thing that jumps out to me, Trump showed classified documents to people in two occasions. First of all, it's the audio of him at Bedminster meeting with um, the, you know, the authors and aides and whatever, talking about the Milley Iran document. We've heard about this on audio because we, we, you know, the audio tape didn't necessarily leak, but um, a lot of newspapers and and, uh, other other folks got a hold of that and, and reported it. And then another instance, which we didn't hear about, this was new to us, where he showed a representative of the Save America PAC, I guess, military information, like wartime stuff. And in both, he acknowledges, and I think these are why that's, you know, the reason why these are used is because he acknowledges in both that they're classified, don't come too close, and he's waving them around. You can't see this. Uh, because I don't think either of these documents, first of all, are charged in this case. I don't think the 31 documents for 793E are these two documents. And number two, I don't think we know where these documents are anymore. And that's scary. So I just wanted to sort of put that out there. But those two instances are the first thing described. Yeah, it, it's from it, the second one you mentioned there was a was a, a shocker, I think, to everyone because we had, you know, we'd we'd seen, I think, a day or two before the the transcript of the previous the meeting at Bedminster where he allegedly shows and discusses the Iranian uh, document. But that second one, it's a map that um, allegedly includes uh, information about like U.S. positions, military positions in an ongoing conflict. Uh, hard to imagine anything that would better qualify as national defense information. That's that's just a, a nine iron. You get that one f- for free. Um, but the idea that these, you know, documents of this nature were not just stored at at Mar-a-Lago or at Bedminster, but were being referenced, discussed, and in at least these two cases potentially shown to people. Um, it's just unbelievable. And I have to say too. The, the danger to national security is is obvious uh, and offensive, but having having served in the intelligence community for you know many years, it's such an offense. It's such a it's such an act of disrespect uh, to the people, all the men and women, hundreds of thousands of men and women who do this work every day, who risk their own lives, put themselves and their families in great, uh, sometimes in great danger. Um, but just the work and the commitment that goes into establishing these opportunities to collect information that's essential to our security, um, to just treat that work product so disrespectfully, so recklessly, um, it just sends a loud and clear message to that community that this person does not care about what they do, doesn't take what they do seriously seriously. 
Uh, and I just, I just find that kind of personally offensive, but anyway, that's my yeah. soapbox. Well, that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning where I, you know, I was ready to have some kick off, knock off some, you know, have some champagne and, and celebrate, uh, the indictment. But, um, after reading this, it just, it's sickening. Um, yeah. with the family military history that I have, um, there, you know, People put their lives on the line for to to protect this kind of information. And it just shows the absolute blatant disrespect for people in the military, which we we know he has. Right. I mean, he you know he called war dead suckers and veterans losers, and he didn't want to have any amputees in his parade because they look sad. You know, it's just yeah. it it goes on and on um, with this particular person, and and it, it's and. Andy, we knew this from the beginning when he met with yeah. Lavrov and, and in the Oval Office and gave away some Israeli secrets the first day on the job. We were all kind of like, "Oh shit!" You know, we're all we're in, we're in for it now. Yeah, for sure. But it's, but here it, it is. It's Those depressing. chickens have come home to roost in a very uh, impactful and and effective way. So very it's, true. Um, very yeah, true. There's a, it's going to be really interesting to see how this develops. Um, so I, you know. The uh, I think the indictment also lays out a very clear kind of uh, chronology or a story, really a narrative of obstruction. Yes. And there's a couple of pieces of evidence, a couple of sources of evidence, I should say, that that are ab that are just essential, core to this ability to tell the story. The first that that occurred to me was the video surveillance is unbelievable because. You know, you think of video surveillance as giving you a picture of what happened, which is amazing, and it certainly does that. But it also, in this case, enables them to lay out literally by the hour and minute who is coming and going in and out of the storage room. Um, and so in the run-up to Corcoran's um, search, uh, I, I hesitate to even call it that because it was so woefully ineffective, but his but search for documents. But he didn't know, right? Like, right. at first I was like, He's in on it. What a rat. But now that I read this whole indictment, I'm like, dude was completely left in the dark at the behest of a Diet Coke valet. That's yeah. how, and by the way, a, a former Navy veteran, like a Navy person, yeah, yeah. who like that's again, shows the disregard for, for the service. So let's talk about these obstruction because he lays them out in yeah. bullet points, uh, obstruction does. of justice. Yeah, so it starts with, um, you know, the entire indictment really focuses on the period after the original subpoena is served. They don't get into the year and a half of arguing with NARA. I think that was a great move Just a Just a tad, right? Like, you know, they talk about um, the more movement of boxes and all that sort of, uh, you know, Trump going through some things. But briefly, uh, but yeah, the you're charges, right. And the charges yeah. are really based on that um, pending indictment period or pending uh, subpoena period. Yep. So mm -hmm. um, immediately after service of the, the subpoenas issued on May 11th, it goes through conversations that Trump had with his attorneys, referred to as, I guess, attorney one in the indictment, Evan Corcoran. Why do why do lawyers take notes? You shouldn't mm -hmm. take so many notes, Don McGahn. Well, now Evan Corcoran uh, is the guy who yeah. took a bunch of notes. And these are the ones that were, you know, retrieved by Jack Smith and the Department of Justice, uh, piercing attorney-client privilege through the crime fraud exception. That's where we get these notes. Yeah, we also know that Corcoran essentially created these notes in a long car ride that he took after <laughs> after these events. I think probably right after 
the meeting where they turn over the red weld of documents to DOJ. Corcoran then is uh, over the course of a weekend in the car for a long time. So he takes out his his phone and he creates, he dictates um, what ends up being 50 pages worth of narrative laying out the specifics of the conversations he had with Trump in the lead up to the meeting. So it's he, reminiscent he, to me of, of John Dean uh, yeah. in Watergate. And it, 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 were it not for that long, long car ride, I don't know if too many people know this story, but were it not for that very long car ride where he had time, he was like, hey, you know what? I'll put this all down in writing. Trying where to be he, organized, trying to did, get on top of get you know, multitask a little bit, get in front of his work for the next week. Yeah. Were it not for that, we might not have this case. Yeah. So because he did that, we now know that uh, Trump initially, when told about the subpoena, uh, Trump responded by suggesting that uh, Corcoran lied to the FBI about having the documents. I mean, it just comes right out and says, wouldn't it be better if we didn't have any? Do we have to do this? You know, his comments like, do, like, essentially, do I have to comply with the subpoena? Is it, you know, why don't we yeah. just tell them to go to hell? I mean, not, not, I'm, that's, isn't it uh, better if we have none? It's great yeah. if we have none. It's yeah. better if we have none. I, I guess that is true. Um, so you get those details in the indictment. And then, of course, he, and there's a whole series of interactions between Trump and Walt Nauta um, about moving the boxes around before the day, June 2nd or 3rd, I think, third, yeah, third, when yeah. Corcoran is returning, is coming to Marla, he set up an appointment with Trump, I'm going to come in on the 3rd to do the search. So in the lead up to that day, you have this Benny Hill-esque uh, interactions between Trump and Nauta, which we know Yeah, we should just put yakety sacks in the background of this entire episode, honestly. I want to see the surveillance video on high speed, right? So he's running up and down the hallway. Ted Lasso it, right? Put it on high speed and put yakety sacks behind it. So there's a great movement of boxes, and we know this from the surveillance. Ultimately, what, 60 boxes or 60-something boxes? 64 come out of the storage facility, uh, the storage room. And then just prior, the day or so before Corcoran comes to do the search, 30 boxes are returned. So it lays out a very clear process by which Trump is asking for for boxes, the boxes are brought to him, and something less than what he requested goes back into the area to be searched. Yeah, and that's w- one of the things that left me with a pit in my stomach. Where's these other 30 boxes of, of documents? And and it's not addressed, and I think it's left open, and I think we all understand that we still don't know where a lot of this, where a lot of our national defense information is. That's just terrifying. That, that's absolutely right. And it also goes to explain why the uh, Jack Smith's team has had this uh, consistent, or I should say persistent, concern that they don't have all the documents. I think that's a pretty fair assumption. We don't have all the documents that left the White House. Um, You know, some specific documents like the Iran document that was discussed at Bedminster, from the reporting we have so far, uh, it seems that that document has never been recovered. There's been some other reporting that says that Jack Smith has a copy of what they believe that document was, um, and that could be helpful at trial. But No, my thought is those two documents that we talk about, the one where he shows the PAC representative about some mili- you know, war movements and the other one, I think those are two different documents. They aren't charged in this case. I don't that's think right. that, that's a part of any of the 31 documents. Yep. All right, so back to the obstruction. Um, the third bit, number, you know, because first of all, 
told his attorney to lie to the FBI about the documents. Then he instructed Walt not to move boxes to hide them from his lawyers, his lawyers. Then he suggested his attorney, he, he actually told his attorney, can we hide or destroy some of these documents that were asked for in the subpoena? And uh, that's one of the uh, causes of action in this indictment. Then he provided some documents while claiming to cooperate. And I've never heard of this. Because Mark Meadows did this, right, with the January 6th committee, where he's like, yeah, sure, here's some text messages. Oh, nope, never mind. I'm not cooperating anymore. So it, it appears to me that what the DOJ is saying here is that if you give some documents, and you talked a tad bit about this in the previous episode about, you know, kind of half-ass cooperation, like don't go halfway, uh, which is what seems like what Walt Nauta did, and then you clam up. But if you provide some documents and then claim you're cooperating on a portion of documents that were asked for, apparently that's a crime. Yeah. I mean, we've been we've been kind of uh, in a snarky way making fun of uh, Mr. Nada as Walt Nada Good Witness. I think that's pretty clear. We were actually right about that. Snarkiness aside, not a good decision there by uh, Nada and his attorney you know, to come in and provide, to answer questions. And he could and, have had a much better deal. He could have had a few months, maybe, tops, yeah. if, if no jail time at all, if he would have just fully cooperated. And now he's looking at, man, has, like a decade, at least. Yeah, he's got six of these counts standing against him, and some of them are very serious, 20, you know, potential 20-year sentences here uh, on the obstruction stuff. So he's in a very bad spot, and yet they have all of his text messages. So you have... Numerous places here where one of the ways we know what's happening is because Nada is texting other people at Mar-a-Lago and saying things like, um, you know, discussing what uh, the former president did with the boxes the day before. Like uh, he here's one where he tells uh, a colleague he has one he's working on in Pine Hall. So that's a that's a room in the residence at Mar-a-Lago. We talked about Pine Hall, bro. We talked about it. Like, yeah. I, when I put out that speculative thread, I'm like, here's what I think happened. They moved, uh, Trump tapped on Nada's shoulder, said, take these 60s or so boxes up to Pine Hall. I'm going to go through them. Then you and your buddy, the pool maintenance guy, move them back down to the room. Then we'll let Corcoran in to search and find the 38 documents or so that I don't care so much about. Uh, and and then of course when 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 Corcoran is done searching and goes back up to Trump with the thirty eight documents, Trump's like, "Oh no, are they bad? What'd you find?" It's like you yeah. left them there for him to find. Anyway, of course, it, it and, was and, ridiculous. And the text goes on. Nada tells his colleague, "Knocked out two boxes yesterday." So, yeah, any chance that Trump might have wanted to put on a defense <laughs> about I didn't know what was in the boxes, I never looked in the boxes. That's done here. Nada destroyed that. Um, he the next day, November 29th, he says, uh, "Next you, next you are on property. Um, could you help me bring four more boxes up?" This is a employee asking Nada for that assistance. So there's a the constant flow from the storage room into the residence for the purpose of Trump uh, looking at what's in their contents. Do you get the idea here that uh, Carlos, who is the maintenance man who's helping now to do all this suppose you know i uh, as far as my as far as i know uh that he's sounds like he's fully cooperating he has a different lawyer 
then Nauda and Budowich and all these other, you know, Kelly Meggs and even yeah. uh, Kash Patel. Uh, he sounds like he's got a different lawyer and it sounds like he's cooperating. It certainly seems like that's the case. It's not, you can't confirm that from the way that uh, he's referred to here or they refer to employee two and, you know, the names are obviously not in there. So we can't say for sure, no, but that right. makes a lot of sense. And in, and in many ways, that person, you know, a lower level, as we discussed yesterday, a lower level, um, you know, employee at Mar-a-Lago, uh, is in some ways a better witness, right? Because they have less culpability. There's no... They're lower on the ladder. And, that's right. And, and they're more right. chill. They're just more chill, right? It's not like yep. Steve Bannon or something. So uh, we're, we were in the middle of going over Trump's obstruction. We went yep. over, he told Corcoran to lie. He told Nauda to hide stuff. He suggested his attorney destroy stuff. He provided some documents, like I said, partial cooperation, which I didn't know could be considered a crime. Uh, and then he caused that certification, that attestation letter that we've all been talking about, written by Corcoran and Christina Bob, signed by Christina Bob. He caused that letter to be submitted to the FBI and grand jury, falsely claiming that all documents had been handed over when he knew they hadn't been. And what we didn't see in this in, indictment or in these charges is the other letter that came to light uh, the other day from Budowich, right? And which I wasn't expecting because I don't think they were asking. I don't think they were down there talking to Budowich about this stuff. I think they were talking to him about wire fraud, but that's a story for another day. And so then we get to once we get all these obstruct like ways of being obstructy, which are just I mean, you know, Trump is very good at that. We get into what happened before Trump handed the boxes back to to the National Archives, which is very short. But he like within the uh, for the subpoena because it's like nara and then the subpoena that did so right. dealing with nara dealing with the doj back with dealing with nara same kind of stuff coordinated looking through all the boxes moving them and looking through them and this is where he had them on stage at a ballroom and just out in mm -hmm. the open that's frightening uh and had them eventually moved and he went through them he has text messages with photos of spilled Top secret documents, yeah, uh, and some of them Five Eyes documents, right? Uh, then we also learned Trump went through those boxes personally, and then once they were had been gone through, once Trump went through them, there were, and this is the dress rehearsal we kept hearing about, right? We have Walt Nada moving boxes to the residence, Trump going through them, picking out what he wants to keep, and then saying, "Okay, these fifteen you can send back to the government." That's the dress rehearsal we're talking about. And Nada put them in his car and sent them back to the archives. So that was the dress rehearsal. That's yeah. just with the National Archives. That is before the subpoena happens. But then uh, we get into, first of all, they, they at this point in the, in the document for the indictments, we, we get to what they're charging Walt Nada with, uh, besides right. the six counts of conspiracy to hide this stuff with Donald Trump. We get into the lies that he told the FBI, and you can't get around these, right? He said he was not aware of Trump going through boxes in his residence before they sent them to the National Archives. He said he did not know how the boxes got up to the residence when he's the one who moved them. And he said he didn't know where the boxes were before they were removed or before they were moved back to the storage room. All lies, right? So those are his three. 1001 charges. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me that Nada would have um would have made these misrepresentations 
if he had knowledge of the subpoena for the surveillance video. Right. Like if his if his attorney knew that the surveillance footage had already been, um, you know, delivered to the government, how do you let your client um, make these claims without well, at least looking? At, I mean, it just would take five minutes to look at the video and realize, okay, we we got a problem here. He's. I mean, we could talk about these the lawyers and who they're paid for all day, who they're paid for by all day. Yeah, it's um, just really remarkable. It's I I said to uh, to someone I was on with last night. It's an embarrassment of riches for the prosecution in terms of the amount of evidence, the clarity of what it represents, the reliability of a, you know, a neutral, uh, unimpeachable surveillance tape. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's what it is. There's no, yeah. there's, it's tough to defend against this uh, this stuff. Yeah. All right. And, and then we get into the, the beef of this, which is, uh, you know, I put out a speculative thread you know, this is speculation based on all the reporting we have so far. Here's the timeline of events I think happened. And this is exactly laid out in this indictment, uh, just as I thought it, it would be. And which is kind of I'm, I, honestly stunning to me um, that, it, that it made it into the indictment. But this is like one of the this is like the bulk of the obstruction. Now, we're not talking about the National Archives anymore. We're talking about the DOJ subpoena. Right. The thing right. that differentiates Pence and Biden from what Trump did. And here's the timeline. We pieced you and I, we talked about this and you're like, yeah, no, that's yeah. And you thought the same thing. May 23rd, Trump met with lawyers. And during that meeting, Corcoran took all the notes and on a long car ride, dictated them. Here's some things that Trump said during that meeting. I don't want anybody looking through my boxes. I don't want you looking through my boxes. My boxes, mine, mine. Uh, also, well, what happens if we just don't respond to the subpoena? What if we just don't play ball? The third thing, wouldn't it be better if we just told them we don't have anything? The fourth thing, well, look, isn't it better if there's just no documents? Like, you can tell what he's getting at here. Yeah, and let's not, let's not forget, he knows the place is filled with boxes <laughs> of documents. As he's saying this, it's like, wouldn't it be better if there were no documents? So I, well, there are documents. They're all around you. They're in your bathroom, in the shower, in the ballroom. Yes. I mean, it's... It was Donald like, Trump in the ballroom with the documents. <laughs> totally it was. You, you know, you, you, even reading this, the, the comments out of the, out of the indictment, in the abstract, by themselves, you might think, well, he's not actually saying, hey, Evan, go destroy the documents. But he is actually saying that in an explicit way when you realize Literally. that he's sitting in a room among the documents saying, Can't we just destroy wouldn't it be them? better if there are no documents? Well, then he tells the Hillary story. And apparently he told it multiple times that day. And I think it's funny that they made mention of that. He says, Hillary's attorney, whoever it was, I don't know his name, that attorney was great. He did a great job. He said it was his of hit. He said it was him that he was the one that deleted all of her emails, the 30,000 emails, because they basically dealt with her scheduling and going to the gym and beauty appointments. But he said uh, he was great. So she didn't get in any trouble because he said he was the one who deleted them, basically insinuating that whoever Hillary's lawyer yeah. was is Find the one who, is the one who <laughs> deleted her innocuous email. He admits in this indictment, which I love, got stuck in there. That her emails were innocuous about going to the gym and yeah. stuff. But he said he deleted them. Can't we just have you do that? Like, this is the Roy Cohn moment, right? It is. It totally is. It's yeah. please get me the delete guy. Okay. Yeah. Get me the guy who <laughs> so effectively destroyed the evidence for Hillary. He's got experience that is valuable to me. I need him. Um, 
and and it's funny because in classic kind of Trumpian way, the story is is incoherent. Like I lived through that case. I can't yeah, I say that I have a perfect recollection of everything that happened, <laughs> but I do still carry the scars of it. And I have no idea who he's talking about here. It doesn't actually fit the description of any of the major players that uh No, that but I it is a little bit of, of it is a little bit of look into his mind. Like he really thinks that Hillary stole a Absolutely. bunch of stuff and got rid of it. Uh, yeah, she was really is, crafty about the way she had some that the delete guy take care of the, the delete guy, yeah, f- fixed it all. All right, so um, back back to my main point. This is the timeline we put together. So they have that meeting on May 23rd where he says all of those things. Then Trump tells Corcoran, hey, it's May 23rd today. You search the storage room on June 2nd, okay? And Corcoran's like, cool. Then Trump gets with Nada, not a good witness. And Nada, between May 23rd of that meeting and June 2nd, moves 64 boxes out of the storage room to the Trump residence, the Pine Hall, like near his residence. Between that lawyer meeting uh, and June 2nd, Trump goes through all these boxes and then had Nauda move about half of them back down to the storage room. That's right. And once they're back in there, Trump tells Nauda, go open the door for Corcoran and let him search. Corcoran goes down to search on June 2nd. Corcoran finds 38 classified documents clearly meant to be found. These are the 38 that Trump doesn't care about. And then met with the DOJ the next day on June 3rd. They came down to get them back. He put them in a red weld envelope, double taped. During that June 3rd meeting or before that June 3rd meeting, Nauda actually packed multiple boxes into Trump's SUV headed to Bedminster. And then once the you know, DOJ was down there with Brat. Corcoran had Bob sign that attestation, even though Bob had nothing to do with any of the searches or any of the movements. But Trump completely and totally bamboozled Corcoran in this situation by telling him, oh, yeah, all these boxes, that's everything. You just search there. He was waved off searching anywhere else. That's right. And not only was he waved off, but he had his Diet Coke valet move boxes out of that storage room so they would not be searched. And we still don't know where half of those boxes are, uh, yeah. which is frightening to me. Uh, it, but it is. It is. I, apparently yeah. those are hand-picked boxes with stuff and things in them that he, that he went through. Uh, so that, even, that's... Even the, the little details here tell a story, right? Yeah, where, that's the timeline. Where, you know, uh, Trump is organizing with Corcoran when the search is going to take place. They they agree on the second, and Trump's like, I'm going to cancel my my summer <laughs> vacation plans essentially to make sure I'm here for that. And so it's another you know it just seems like a throwaway detail, but a great indicator of how focused Trump was on this uh, on this series of events. It's a it's a um, a theme that you see throughout the document. This is not some esoteric kind of uh, you know agency theory here. This is Trump deeply personally involved in every step of this conspiracy little hands on he's that's little right. hands he's on there. every step he's, of the way he's doing it he's calling the shots he's directing nada he's scheduling with uh, corcoran and now he's, he's throwing a, a navy veteran under the bus ruining his life totally fine with that just so that he can keep his you know what it documents yeah. and we don't have intent here and let's let's talk for a second about stuff that's not in this indictment yep. Uh, there's some glaring things. 
But the careless, these, these are just things that stand out to me and things that are also not in the indictment. The careless storage of these materials is infuriating. Um, there's no mention of the, the pool, we, you know, we talked about on the main episode. <laughs> Floodgate. Nothing. Yeah, it's not in there. Nothing for about Watergate, too. Uh, no mention of the live golf tournament documents or the foreign real estate deals with the seven countries that were subpoenaed in the documents case. No mention. Yep. No, no charge for dissemination here. The 793E charge under the Espionage Act is simply for retention of documents, of, of national defense information, not dissemination. Even though those two instances where he showed them to people are mentioned, they're, I don't think they're part of the charges. Uh, no gaps in tapes mentioned, no incomplete surveillance footage. Right. Uh, we don't know why he went to the ultimately to the software company. Uh, again, like I said in the beginning, the sheer number of classified documents in this case, 31. Uh, Brandon Van Grack, who ran the FARA unit for a long time, worked with uh, these kind of cases a, a lot at the Department of Justice, said, you know, we all, all you need is like two or three, four or five documents. Then we have 31, and the bulk of them are top secret, which means the intelligence community have to sign off on that, which stood out. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, Trump's own statements used against him. Again, we saw that a lot in the Mueller investigation. And then the Hillary story that he told multiple times that day. Those are the things that stand out to me, Andy. Um, so we've only got a couple minutes left, but I'm, I'm interested in, in what in this indictment, uh, besides just the sheer, it's just disturbing nature um, uh, and the total disregard for military veterans and national security, uh, and the the list I just mentioned, what 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 stands out to you in this? Well, you know, a, a lot of things. We've covered a lot of it um, already. I will I will just to say on on some of the points that you raised. I'm not surprised they didn't bring in um, the foreign real estate stuff or the or the subpoena over the live information. None of that really fit for me in thinking about the narrative going forward on this issue. It's hard to understand exactly what they were shooting at there. Could and have it been may handed off. Could have been it may off. get handed off, or it could come up someplace else, and you could see references to uh, that information in the in the January sixth case if that comes to an indictment. Um, so I think that's still out there. As far as this, the video surveillance that was the I, it was like getting uh, hit on the head repeatedly with a shoe. The video, it's about the video. The video surveillance is so important to this indictment, and although. Um, it, it doesn't speak specifically to which version of the video or where they got the video that they relied on. So I think we might hear more about that um, at trial. I think those subpoenas and those uh, inquiries to the tech companies and things like that, that we know they had to go to, the concern about gaps in the tape, you might hear more about that when they actually have to use the surveillance video as evidence, they're going to have to establish a foundation for that, which will mean oh, wherever they re received it from, they'll have to bring in custodians of records, people who are responsible for that stuff um, to testify exactly where it came from and how it was maintained and all that stuff. So you're going to get a lot more detail in that as we go forward. Uh, the number of classified documents, you're right, you don't need more than one. You wouldn't ever get sentenced right. consecutively, you know, more time for more documents. It doesn't work that no, way. No, they group them together, and, and it's it's a 10-year max for this kind of, uh, uh, this particular charge. That's and it's right. not 10 years per document. It's That's grouped right. into one thing. So if they sentence you to two to three years for these documents, 
that's for all right. of them. Yeah. So what you see in these cases typically is they try to represent in the charge the quantity and quality of the documents that were stolen or retained or what have you. And I think that's why, you know, you see multiple documents being used here. It's not because it makes the charge, you know, stronger, or the sentence longer, but they're trying to be representative of what was there. Yeah, hundreds. It's also true that very um, challenging coordination goes into deciding which ones you'll use. Many, many espionage cases never go to court because the entity, the intelligence uh, agency that owns the information or the document or whatever was withheld. Yeah, they don't sign off. They, on don't, the, yeah. they don't want it exposed in court. And they'd nope. rather see an offender go free than lose the collection, you know, the yeah. technique, the human source, whatever it is. So yeah, we talked about this a lot during the Mueller investigation about the counter the counterintelligence piece of the like there's just things we're never gonna know. That's right. Uh, so, on the counterintelligence side. You know, they they've worked through that already. They already have the agreement of the respective intelligence agencies, the owners of these documents, to go forward with these. There may have been other more sensitive, arguably more important documents that they couldn't include in the, the indictment. There are also undoubtedly ones that are less significant. But so, that's, yeah, that's the thing, right? You're like, it, it was probably worse than, oh yeah, than you, what it, we'll see in the evidence. No doubt. It's always going to be a little bit worse than what you can talk about in court. And that's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Remarkable. Really, uh, they're, they're off with a bang here. They made a resounding statement. I, I still question a little bit. I'm surprised they got it in in 50 pages. Uh, uh, yeah. This this amount of information, and I think that that is a testament to how good Jack Smith is at packing information into a small amount of words. He's a word economist, this guy. Uh, but it really hits, it really drives every the point home. Uh, but there's so much, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's only 50 pages, just read it. Yes, true. I recommend everybody read this indictment. It won't take you very long, but it's a nonstop hit after hit after hit after hit. Yeah. Everything is packed in such a short little bit of time. Yeah. Before we go, let me just mention one thing. Um, mm -hmm. There's already been a kind of a, a really uh, vocal and you know outraged response from the pres former president's uh, supporters, particularly the Republicans uh, on the Hill. And the, the themes are, are, are uh, totally foreseeable and, you know, very easy to identify. It's basically complaints about, you know, two-tiered system of justice, not fair. You went after our guy and you let all the Democrats go free. Um, that's just, of course, not the way it works. I tried to explain to someone yesterday, the justice system doesn't work according to organized crime rules. It's not about you took out one of my guys, so I take out one of your guys and then we're even Steven. doesn't work like that. Every case is an individual um, issue that has to be evaluated according to its own facts and according to the law that applies right. to it. And not based well, on anything else. Yeah. That's right. A lot of really stupid false equivalence arguments now um, comparing this indictment to the way <laughs> the Hillary Clinton case was handled. I talked, which, I talked to Harry. I saw Harry Dunn last night and, and Harry was like, yeah. I was talking to this guy and I was like, what do you think about this indictment? And they said, well, what about the Hillary? He's like, no, 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 no. We'll talk about Hillary in a minute. What do you think about Trump right yeah. now? Yeah, but Hillary, no, 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 no. We'll talk about Hillary in a minute. <laughs> Tell me what you think about Trump right now. It just, it, on and on and on, you know. Yeah, so. I, I, it's like I 
I can't believe that we're relitigating this again, but I, I shouldn't be surprised by it at all because I feel like this stuff is going to be. She lost the election. Like, what else do you? She there wasn't a crime found, and she lost the election. What else would you like for her to go through? Yeah, uh, and so let's just just let's throw it out there for our listeners to to remember. Uh, at the end of that case, thirty thousand over well thirty thousand emails that she gave back to the State Department. They were evaluated, plus thousands of other emails that we found from the uh, quote-unquote missing 30,000. In all of that, we came up with 52 email strings that contained confident or, or classified information Post. at the time the emails were sent. Post the but, fact, right? They weren't marked. No, no, no. This is not the up-classified stuff. This was legitimately yep. classified when sent 52 emails out of what? Over 30,000, yeah. you know, uh, thousands and thousands of, of documents. Of those, I think eight were top secret. 30-something were secret, and another uh, small number were confidential. We also, more importantly, found no evidence of intentionality, right? There was no facts to clearly indicate that Clinton or any of her uh, She was a little slow handing them over, but she handed yeah, them look, over. <laughs> poor email discipline by any measure, no sure. question. But sure. how do you, this is not about that. It's about how do you prove a criminal case? Do you have enough evidence uh, to to proceed to a prosecution. And of course, in that case, we, we didn't believe we did. Justice agreed with that assessment and no indictment was sought. No, it so was now one here, person. What do we have? It was one person who decided that there wasn't enough to charge and, and that was you and that's why no, you were fired yeah, forever. Right, right, sure. Uh, <laughs> or yeah, you, no, no. you can go with that if, it, if that's what helps you sleep through the night. But and That's what people don't understand. There are hundreds of people who make these decisions yeah, that, that go course. into these charging decisions, not just mm -hmm. like one person. This uh, case, this anyway. case, the thing that 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 beams from the mountaintops about the Trump case is the overwhelming mountain of evidence of intentionality. And you see it at a hundred different points in this indictment. It's well it's laid from out. The, right. It's the it's the selection by him of what would be returned to NARA and what would be kept. It's the the avoidance of uh, even having his lawyer search his own stuff the selection of, of, of what they wouldn't give back to DOJ. So it's, it's just dripping with intent to retain and obstruct. And that's why it's different from anything we've ever seen before. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we'll probably be talking more about this on, on next week's episode. Uh, and, and this is just one aspect of the multiple prongs of investigations that Jack Smith is doing. So there's much more to talk about January 6th, the wire fraud, the big fraud, uh, attached to the big lie. Uh, the we have so much more that we'll be going over. So thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for listening and understanding that we had to put out this bonus episode. Uh, we've been I've been watching you, Andy, on TV evaluate these this this indictment for for the last 24, 48 hours. So thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next week. I've been Allison Gill, and I'm Andy McCabe, and this is the Jack Podcast. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. 
and one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.